What's poppin' everybody? Welcome back to the Black Hole Podcast. I am your host, Evan Malik McDonald. Today, we have an educator with us. Uh, we continue our conversation with Isaiah Hernandez, who teaches us a little bit about environmentalism. Uh, you know, I think it's a conversation that we all know exists, but we don't necessarily have in the right ways. And I hope that this episode and the previous episode, definitely check it out if you haven't, uh, will sway us in the right direction. But I hope you guys enjoy it, and I will see you guys on the flip. Peace. It's a different conversation entirely. Um, I guess the idea of... Uh, living a zero waste life you know like what is like what is that about like how because it just sounds difficult it just sounds like like I've, I've done a little research into a zero waste life uh zero waste um lifestyle it just seems hard like can you can you just like tell us a little bit about that what that is and like how to live that way yeah i think with like zero waste like you know I have come through it through a perspective that I look at through it as a human rights issue through that lens. And so zero waste essentially, you know, was commonly, it was first defined by the Zero Waste International Alliance, I think back in like 2002 was created, but it was later refined. And so it defines it as like, you know, I think like the conservation of like resources um, that are like res- responsibly produced, consumed, released properly and recovered. And also, um, you know, there's no tish, like no negative environmental impact to the land, water, or air. And so obviously, you know, for me, zero waste, you know, it, the, the lifestyle movement itself was, I think back in 2010, where it was like popularized by, I think that minimal um, creator name as like B Johnson, like a zero waste home, I think. Mm. And so she kind of talked about living this like plastic free lifestyle. And so it kind of got, gathered so much attention and so i think zero waste lifestyle is it kind of encourages you to live more sustainably um, by using what you have but also you incorporating more products that obviously don't require plastic anymore and swapping out for what you would typically use for plastic and so in one in one in one note i say yes it is a good thing i think that it's like you know encourages for individual the lifestyle movement encourages for individual lifestyle changes but i think the other thing is that i think zero waste itself in media is portrayed as a you know not necessarily like a good thing because i think it's it's main it's missed its main point of where the fact that communities are the ones having to deal with the waste and so mm-hmm. zero waste essentially should look at holding the corporations available but, but what we see a lot is that corporations are just blaming consumers they're like oh it's your fault you're the one who uses our products anyways and mm-hmm. so i think zero waste obviously lifestyle movement has been heavily i think uh straight away a bit and so i think now it's like shifting or from what i've heard it's like changing mm-hmm. hmm. so um another another side question uh what do you think about electric cars right i mean tesla is massive right now and everybody wants a tesla everyone's every every car company's doubt you know that they're they're messing around with the electric car uh idea but one before you know i guess before you answer that question one thing that i found very interesting was that um uh there was a study done it was like it's not like really a study but a thought experiment and it was found that if literally every body in america had an electric car it would be worse for our environment because of the, the way we get our energy um and I, you know i i that really made me think like maybe electric cars aren't really a good enough alternative for personal transportation i guess i wanted to know what you your your take on electric cars and that that entire mini industry is yeah i mean like i haven't really explored the much of the automobile industry but i think mm-hmm. i think back then when the car was created or the prototypes like one of the cars was electric actually oh yeah yeah, um, yeah, yeah. remember yeah yeah and so i think i remember too like looking into it and then i remember my friend was like yeah dude they always had electric cars back then i was like wait really and they're like yeah it uh-huh. just it wasn't really sustainable or it wasn't really that good or it wouldn't last long i think that was it that was the argument it would only last uh-huh. a few hours and so obviously people were like no it's inconvenient for me and it costed a lot and so 
it fell through but i think you know asking yourself like where those materials are being sourced and i think tesla too has huge issues right. where obviously elon Musk like gained so much millions of dollars for laying off his workers during the you know coronavirus or you know he gained that much money and so right, right. obviously he's able to you know dominate in a sense in a sense that market but i think too is that you know i don't own a tesla but they do seem pretty cool but also too it's like asking yourself like who you're contributing to and so not to say that the own you buying a car too not from tesla isn't good either because you know i think it's you know mm. but i think too is the fact that clean energy is like weird right now because the fact that it's a great alternative but then you have there's ethical questions of like you know solar panels require like uh, certain minerals or like um, from mines and that they're illegally or unethically mined from or um, where are those clean energy stations being planted are they being terrorized by are they, are they terrorizing indigenous communities or their lands and so it's like a huge issue mm -hmm. of like cost and so obviously the other industries you're fighting like PG&E like stuff like that it's like these electricity industries have privatized a lot and so I think you know, it's important to talk about energy justice because it's like a new concept that was introduced a few years ago, I think, that looks into how the community defines where they get their energy from and how they distribute it. And so we've relied too much on like corporations taking responsibility over that when we know that they don't really have our best interests anyways. I never really thought about the, I guess, the negatives of clean yeah. energy. You know, I don't, I don't think a lot of us think about that. We just think, oh, solar power, we're good. It's clean. It's fine. We're all happy. Boom, power, right? I never really thought about, you know, where the like the panels or where the materials come from. I, I, I like that. That's really interesting and kind of terrifying at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, what do what do we do? Like, what is what is the best energy? You know, like what is the best source of energy? What where is the most ethical and I guess safest and most, uh, I guess, um, beneficial energy source. Yeah. I mean, I, that's a good one, but I think, you know, the ethical, like, you know, much more sustainable is those greener alternative energy, solar, wind, water, apparently, but I, there's also issues with like hydro dams and, you know, the, the disruption of water flows. And so, you know, mm -hmm it really comes to end of like how you perceive clean energy. And I think obviously for so long we've lived in this fossil fuel narrative. And so those gas companies are like, oh, natural gas is good for you. And it's like, you know, how else do we get our gas from? And so I think it's hard that when you approach these issues or these topics, because, you know, I don't necessarily know all the answers, but I think some things to ask yourself is like, where, essentially like you know is this a viable option like you know solar energy and things like that and so there's mm -hmm. not that there's limited research but there's not as extensive research on this type of field or new energies being introduced and also not a lot of people talk about all these like exclusionary policies and practices that are in place that prevent uh renewable uh, energies to expand like what are the issues they face in the industry and the policies because obviously these large corporations don't like them and they don't want them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean I, I think another interesting thing you you talked about is just ha people having power over how they get energy i know uh there are a lot of communities in america who um they build their own access to the internet because they only have one service, right? I mean, a lot of us in cities, we only have access to like, you know, maybe Xfinity or Spectrum, like only one. And we're at the mercy of those companies because if we don't want it, we don't have internet, right? And I feel like that is another conversation to have. It's just how, how do we, we should have the ability to get what we want the way we want it when it comes to essential services, right? Like if you want to get your water from well water, that should be your option. And some communities actually have that option freely. Like if you want your water from, from, from well, you can do it. But we don't have that with energy. We don't have that with, with, with internet a lot of the time. And a lot of these communities that build their own internet are dealing with legal issues, right? Like these, these big corporations are coming after them. And, you know, I, I think that is another interesting topic is, is just like, we, we should have a choice, yep. right? A, a reasonable choice. I, you know, I, 
like like you know it, it may be a little different cities but in these smaller rural communities in the, in the midwest and, 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 and you know the northwest and all these, these little towns they should have the ability to choose and that's something that i think that it, like again is another step in the right direction uh and then you know What's, what's, what's another interesting topic is just this conversation about people losing jobs if we switch to a cleaner energy, right? Like, you know, the this like uh, I believe it's West Virginia. A lot of their economy is based yeah, off. Yeah, of I remember visiting there. Yeah. Oh, you have you? Can can you talk well, a little bit about I, that? I, I remember visiting. I was in Roanoke for a bit, and then I went to Virginia Tech after like a few days. And so, from what I, I remember, I was reading at the museum. I went to this like car museum. Is that their economy obviously relies on coal, and so a lot of the mm-hmm. early people that were there, they were coal miners, and so. Um, when the collapse or certain coal mines started shutting down, it decreased obviously the job opportunities available for them. And so I think now what's happening is that obviously with COVID, like all of these coal miner workers are like, I can't go back to work. I have no money to support my family. And so mm-hmm. then that creates obviously large scale issues of like the job creation process for West Virginia is that it was founded, but it, it, it created a job based off an unsustainable work lifestyle, you know? Right. Right, right, right. I mean, that's it's it, it's it's just so fucking fascinating to see how 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 this is framed, right? Like how these issues are framed where you know the, the coal companies are like, "Hey, listen, we can't do clean energy because you will all lose your jobs and that's it." But the thing is, like for one, coal is a finite material like it's gonna run out these jobs aren't like you said they're not sustainable they're they are gonna lose jobs like these communities aren't gonna survive they're not built off of the ability to mm-hmm. survive and you know I, I guess the counter argument to coal you know the, the counter argument is that if we start building for example solar um solar panels or we start building uh uh, uh, uh wind farms like we can teach these people how to build these new devices we could train these people how to in 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 in, in these new alternatives um and you know i from what i've heard there have been like there, there are issues with that obviously like the, 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 the just straight cost of yeah. it right the cost of it is substantial to communities and, and to companies and that i mean that seems to be the reason as to why we don't change straight up just just money yeah right it's just, it, it, it's just straight up money and i and Again, you know, I'm not, I'm not a money guy, but it just, I don't know. It just seems like it's cheaper. It just seems like if, if, if we were to cut out, for example, the, the, the coal industry, that means we don't have to worry so much about black lung. We don't have to worry about the health issues brought on by a lot of these workers. We don't have to worry about, or I mean, not we, but these companies don't have to worry about, um, uh, you know, the, the death mm-hmm. of a lot of these people. It's cleaner energy means again from what it from what it seems like it just means it, it just seems cheaper right but why do you think corporations don't make that leap why do you think corporations are just so hung up on oil natural gases coal why like why do you why why do you think these corporations don't I make think that it's change? the fact that like it's in a sense um you know it's like an addiction uh, economics and says for GDP mm-hmm. growth like they don't you know it's non-stop for them and so if you were to have to slow down something I don't think it's reasonable for them or unsustainable for them because that would then mean profit loss and not massive GDP growth and so because we're we have those people in institutions they're less likely to even like look at that as a viable option or even you know, promises as capitalists, I think they're more concerned about the wealth or the prosperity over mm-hmm. the, other than like something that's more sustainable that may bring in less yield in GDP or growth for them. And so I think that's the main reason why and to the fact that um, they're already used to this, right? So why bother disrupting their movement of what they've been doing for decades, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, I, I feel like it's also evil intersectionality, right? Where, for example, uh, with oil, 
we all know there's plenty of oil in the Midwest, uh, the, uh, the Middle East. Midwest. There's plenty of oil in the Middle East. So, you know, the, the wars, the, the, the wars that America started uh, over mm-hmm. a decade ago, that doesn't only benefit the oil companies, but that benefits the military, but also benefits weapon manufacturers, yeah. right? Like it is, it is fucked up intersectional, intersectional economic uh, force where like, all, all, all these people benefit from oil. All these people benefit from oil. All these people benefit from from murdering brown people. Like it, it's, it just, I don't know. It's, it's, it just seems like a massive monster. And these alternatives don't benefit these corporations as much overall, right? And I, I feel like there is a way where it could. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a way where we could eliminate oil, eliminate natural uh the, 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 these uh, these natural resources um from, from the conversation and it still benefits all these corporations for example the manufacturers they can switch over to manufacturing uh materials for some of these for, for example wind farms solar farms etc i don't know i don't know again i'm not i'm not too versed on 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 those ideas but I don't know, it's just it's I don't know it just seems fucked it just it just sometimes when I have these conversations it just seems like you know there's there's no hope you know and I, I guess I want to know like where do you find the hope because it's like it just feels like we are fighting this hydra this 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 fucking ninety foot hydra that can eliminate us <laughs> yeah any no I think what gives yeah no, no I think it's valid and I think what gives me hope is the fact that like solutions are being presented people are winning cases and lawsuits and so i think sooner i think now too the corporations are more threatened by us than any time in this year because for so long they've been able to suppress the information that was out there or um, present other alternatives that obviously they are kind of being in a sense decentralized in their own power but it's taking time of course and so i think when you look at a smaller picture, I think you should think about like what you're doing already that contributes in some way. And I think one thing is like obviously us like talking about this issue is like helpful because then we're gonna be able to share this information with our own friends and then they'll be able to share it with their own connections. They'll be able to then, you know, it spreads like a web of information. Meanwhile, these corporations are like, you know, have disconnected themselves away from the public in a sense that mm. they think they're able to get away with this and now more people are coming after them and they're more even threatened or more scared by us by any time and so i think you know this movement is everlasting so it's something that's going to continue growing but of course you know mm. um, it does sometimes feel a little bit daunting or hopeless to be like oh i don't know what's going to happen you know mm-hmm. absolutely i mean so I, I i guess going back real quick uh can we talk about the military and the climate? Because those are two things that I literally have never even thought would benefit, like 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 affect each other. I guess you know, like yeah. Because you, yeah, I know you talked a little bit about the military industrial complex and, and, and the environmental racism overall, and 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 uh, and how it affects the climate. Can you just go into that a little bit? Because that's a very interesting topic. So. Yeah, I think with that, you know, what I was trying to look at is that the fact that uh, for so long, you know, we talk about like what's the most polluting industries and emissions, and everyone's like agriculture, agriculture, mm. or the, the waste and things, right, right, right. Um, public transportation, you know, some of those to name. And so um, there's such a lack of information and data available to the US military industrial complex system. And I remember asking once in lecture about why we needed it and why no one talked about it. And then the professor was like, well, we need a huge budget to protect ourselves. And like, protect ourselves from what? Like, we are the ones terrorizing other countries. And so um, I think with that, it's like looking into the fact that research has been done, that this is just solely focusing on emissions, that um, the military industrial complex system has a huge budget for fossil fuels to purchase oil. Like they have, I think I think the U.S. Huh. Army has like 24 million. I think that's like the highest out of like mm-hmm. the Navy, the Air Force. I think the Air Force is the second one, um, but they're on the million dollar ranges just for fuel. That's just for fuel, mm-hmm. and like the, I think their overall budget's like a trillion, I think, or something like that. And so um, you ask yourselves, like, 
why they're able to pollute, right? And so it's been found, obviously, mm-hmm. by researchers, is that there's a lot of there's loopholes that allow this industrial complex system to pollute because, in a sense, it's argued that it's for national security. And so, unfortunately, mm-hmm. there's like not that much information available. But also the fact that you know when I had talked about emissions, I didn't even include the amount of environmental degradation or the waste. That is unreported dumped in the sea. That a lot of even on Instagram, mm-hmm. a lot of former Navy people or people in the military were like, "Yeah, we used to dump things in the ship." That's something we can confirm. Mm-hmm. So there's mismanagement mm-hmm. of practices, and also the fact that the testing creates huge degradation for communities nearby, and they're still able to get away mm-hmm. with this. And so that's why I argued in one of the posts that they are the largest polluter because. We're not just solely focusing on emissions. We're talking about their impact, of their long-term impact of mm-hmm. what they've done. And so, a lot of people, obviously, you know, a lot of uh, nationalists were, um, what you would say, not excited about the post and you know criticized it for that reason. And so, I think the reason why people don't talk about it is because it's not mentioned, or slash people are afraid to kind of critique or talk about it. I mean, even myself, I was afraid to put it out there, but I was like, I'm going to do it because I think collectively people agree, but no one talks about it because the lack of information or education behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I I, feel like in America, we have this reverence towards the military, right? We're like, oh, the military, they're here to protect us to the heroes. Um, and, you know, th- there, there is a lack of conversation about the negative, aspects of our military and you know again you know this isn't against the United States military but the the thing is we do spend way too much on 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 the the US uh, military I mean we have military bases in many 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 countries whereas no country has a military base within America right like that's that that, that's Mm -hmm. kind of a conversation to have itself right but yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, I mean, one of the big things is nukes, right? N- nuclear bombs. You can't really dispose yeah. of them easily, right? I mean, we talked about energy, and you know, I used to be a huge, uh, I-, I-, I guess, nerd for nuclear energy until I found out that hey, wait, uh, it's extremely fucked. Like it's it's clean, but then the waste is almost impossible to get rid of. And that's the whole conversation that people are having about how do we get rid of nuclear waste because. You know, it's, it's an extremely clean uh, resource. However, when things go wrong, they go terribly wrong, right? So, I mean, yeah, I mean, that, I, that's something that, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people don't think about is is, is, is that connection between the military and uh, yeah. the climate. And, uh, yeah, and the fact that, like, you know, too, when I talk about defunding the military, like, that money can go towards assisting veterans who are disabled or that you know we're screwed over by this system you know and then people yeah, of course exactly. like you know a lot of people who are like we protect you i'm like okay well we protect you or why aren't you protecting your own veterans who served previously before and have all these complications of health mm-hmm. issues and now they can't get help so mm-hmm. obviously mm-hmm. you know that's another thing i argue for is that if people are gonna you know validate the protection of this industry or you know say that they deserve that much money i'm like you they don't deserve it because the money doesn't even go to the own army people they get what a small fraction right, of what right. is provided but they're left with obviously a huge amount of like uh physical issues or mental issues that goes untreated and mm. it's not necessarily worth it and just because their own family members came out and you would say like fine i guess or whatever like that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone comes out the same way that your own family member did you know right right i mean it 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 seems like it goes towards a perception right like all this money just goes to perception the perception that the american military is the best military in the world i know so many veterans uh and a lot of them aren't where they thought they would be you know when they joined the military like they thought hey listen i'm gonna join the military I'm gonna, you know, they're gonna pay for my college. I'm gonna get a good job. Boom, that's it, right? Where that's not really the case for most of them, um, and it it, it it really does seem like the only reason we 
or the government invests that much money is to sh tell other countries, hey, look, we have these tanks, we got these state-of-the-art jets, we train our people the best, like, which is which is true. But at the end of the day, yeah, you're right. Like, where, where does how does that affect the actual people? Like, when they when they leave the military or when 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 you know when they're when they're out of the job, like, how does that benefit? Exactly. Anybody? Yeah. And right? I mean, I and I speak on this because my sister's boyfriend is like from the marines and it's like you know they tell you all this about mm. college or stuff and it's like yeah good luck when you have 13 hour shifts working you know like or you gain right, not right. as much money that you thought you would be and then you have messed up back problems or arm problems or you know just a lot of broken things that were never fixed and you mm. know they say like oh well you can go to school and it's like you don't even have time to go to school after and like even if you're done like you still have to think about this and about resources and the lack of resources even available for someone to succeed in college for that you know so it's 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 mm. necessarily like you had said like it's you know where like people think about this and so they don't necessarily understand the the long-term impact it has on them mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i i kind of want to talk a little bit about the some of the wording on your instagram page and you know guys i'm gonna post uh the the link to the instagram page um in the description below so peep that but i you know there's a lot of like very interesting wording and just words that i kind of want you to talk a little bit yeah. about if you don't mind um so I, I okay so let's i guess let's start off with uh zombie fires i i, I saw that one i was like oh that's that shit's like crazy i read it like that that one that's super weird talk a little bit about that zombie fires what's that uh yeah, yeah. no I, I mean i was really surprised about finding about it so it's basically fires that happen underground right and so um mm -hmm. what's happening right now in siberia a few months ago i think they're happening now is that um zombie fires are essentially like they they happen they happen in the in the arctic you know they're they're used to having them and the fire managers obviously there those who take care of the land there um they understand of zombie fires the thing that's what's happening is that um these fires are kind of happening in moments where they wouldn't be expected anymore it's so you know they correlated it with the climate crisis of that with the unusual temperatures and um you know things that are happening it's creating more larger fires um in underground uh systems here in the arctic and so basically what's happening then is that people researchers are understanding that um whenever there's a large wildfire nearby such as like in alaska there's an increase of zombie fires happening that explode in the in the land and so people the managers now and the fire ecologists are more concerned about it because then they think what does that mean as obviously more carbon is being released when those wildfires are happening from the soil and so it's like mm -hmm. obviously concerning mm -hmm. about like what is going to be happening in the next few years for those areas okay okay um i guess talk a little bit about ecofascism yeah and so i think for ecofascism um it's basically this like ideology but you would say that the way in order to what you would say save earth is to um, depopulate and so this ideology kind of perpetuates this dangerous rhetoric that we need to um it's like a the human population is a huge issue and so what that is rooted in is obviously in eugenics and so obviously what we've seen in the last few years in the united states is that a lot of um, some manifestos or some white supremacists who have done mass shootings, like I think the one that did it in Texas a few a year ago or a few years ago, um, you know, uh -huh. had proclaimed that, you know, black and indigenous people of color were um, creating too many people of themselves and they needed to be taken care of or cleansed from. And so, you know, when you have these types of rhetorics out there, it promotes the idea that it's not just if you're advocating for depopulation you're advocating for depopulation for minorities and so obviously uh -huh. that is the dangerous rhetoric that has been highly you know misconstrued in society or it's been used as a way to further perpetuate this harmful rhetoric and so 
obviously a lot of people are concerned about eco-fascism is because the fact that if this ideology is to spread more and influence more it may obviously influence the harm that is done to individuals or communities like um black indigenous people of color communities and so that's why it's a interesting or dangerous ideology that it's being spread right i mean that sounds like some bond villain manifesto yeah. shit like i mean and, and you know there i've i've read this on the internet many 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 times i mean you know um for example like the black plague people were like oh the black plague happened and you know several like millions of people passed and forest mm-hmm. regroup they talk about how Genghis Khan killed uh, uh, swaths of people and the forest regroup. Uh, I've actually read conversations about COVID and how, you know, uh, the deaths that have um, been a result of COVID uh, will, uh, I guess, I guess, impact the climate positively, right? Like th- these are like straight up conversations. But yeah, like you said, it it is, it, it, it which I, you know, I, I it, it's it's it, I guess it's it's true, but it's it's a very dark idea, right? Like it's it's a very terrible idea. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, like, I, I guess it does open up the door to quote unquote justify eugenics and quote unquote justify the, the deaths of black mm-hmm. and brown people. I mean, there's always when it, when it comes to genocide, there's always a again quote unquote good reason right it's because oh these people are perpetuating these ideas therefore they are poisoning us therefore they have to they have to Mm -hmm. go right like i you know these a lot of these ideas are based in some type of um i guess uh again quote unquote good idea positivity right and it's it's such a fucked system fucked a fucked reality but um yeah, I mean, I, I guess can, I, uh, going off of that, I guess, can you talk about, or I, I guess, talk a little bit about uh, what do you think or your opinions on that conversation that, for example, COVID is going to help the climate because a lot of people are going to Yeah, die. I mean, I think that it was like, so that, that rhetoric was popular a few months ago, right? When it first happened is that people were like, it's good for the earth, but necessarily like, no, it's not good for the earth. And the ones who are paying the heavy price are usually low income um, black indigenous people of color the ones that face all this loss and so i think you know necessarily that didn't stop the corporations from continuously um you know polluting the air right like these are machines they're not people like the 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 machines aren't broken yeah they they're fine they they're they're obviously not going to get sick from covid you know and so i think people were thinking that as if society stopped it would you would sense um, lower emission standards, but necessarily it didn't do that. And what did it do? It destroyed economies in a sense of like you know this like, this society was obviously unreliable, like unsustainable. First of all, and the ones who are getting punished the worst are the ones who are low income or those who are losing their jobs now. And so I think that when people were saying like, oh, it's good for the earth, it's like you know what's really good for the earth like like getting these corporations like accountable and like sent to jail because some way they need to be served justice for what they've done and so i think people associate the fact that with coronavirus that it would um decrease the population issue when necessarily that's not even it's not even an issue you know that's not the thing and think it's like Mm -hmm. the fact that we people would even think that the justification for people to die for the earth's greater good is very violent and dangerous because god Mm. forbid someone from their family would lose their life in order to protect the world or um contribute um you know that small fraction when necessarily the ones who created this massive degradation to the environment are corporations not necessarily humans themselves right right right. i mean (laughs) That's some, that's some Thanos ideology. Like, uh, have, you've seen yeah, you've seen Endgame, yeah, yeah. or no? Like the Avengers movies. So like, you know, do, do you think because you know Thanos' whole thing was like, I'm he's gonna snap to eliminate half of all life, 
to, to basically he's i mean i guess with, with, with what you said he's basically eco-fascist right like he's gonna snap kill off half of all life in order to help uh just help like i guess help us you know allow the resources to, to flourish again <laughs> do you think disney is pro eco-fascist <laughs> i mean in a sense it could be examined through that <laughs> lens i i mean like i you know it's it's interesting because obviously you ask yourselves like what type of like rhetoric they're influencing or talking about but i do think right, right. It, it can be argued I, I think it can be but you know at the sense at the end of the day like sacrificing what you would say half for the greater good is dangerous too right because like at the end of the day no one should right. be sacrificed for the resources like in a sense we all had those resources but only a select few decided to monetize those resources and privatize them and then you know but in that sense it was different yeah 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 also there's no reason why you couldn't just snap and double all the resources like that, that was always the, the argument like you could have just made more resources um all right so okay i guess uh can you talk a little bit about ecophilia yeah i think ecophilia is a little bit different obviously from biophilia because i think a lot of people are so like you know ingrained in that and so i think ecophilia is like looking more into relationships that humans have with nature and like the desire that humans themselves have built in that uh want to be within nature and so i think that mm -hmm. you know this comes from educational standpoint that it's important that when youth are obviously growing up that they are immersed in this environment because then they're able to really you know, develop these relationships with the land or the earth themselves. But the thing is that, you know, not everyone has access to outdoors or slash their environments actually look healthy, you know, or, you know, are going mm -hmm. to do well. And so I think with ecophilia, like it challenges people in the educational field to really redesign the way that people make interconnections with nature. So that's their community, their own culture, their own history. And so incorporating those values into ecophilia is important because necessarily we all come from different values, different families, different lineages, different histories. And so I think when you disregard those part of the equation or your own learning experience, it creates kind of a gap in those relationships. And that's why ecophilia like looks into more into um, bonding those relationships with people. Mm. Okay, okay. Um, I, I know we talked about this a little before, and I'm sure like this is, you know, everyone kind of has an idea about what this is, but talk, I guess talk a little bit about solar energy. Yeah, I think with solar energy, like I remember covering it a few months ago, is that when I remember, obviously the sun obviously produces so much energy, like if it wanted to, it could obviously right. help us. But the thing is, between like the argument between like solar energy is that obviously this renewable resource, obviously, um, it's a better alternative than like gas, coal, oil, and stuff like that. And solar energy, mm -hmm. essentially, you need a solar panel to capture that energy that then directly obviously converts the sunlight um, into electricity. But it requires obviously materials like I think silicon and like other rich minerals. And so obviously the solar power reflects the, the panels on it like reflects the sunlight to a tower that's like near it or built near it. And that's why you see those towers near the solar energy that creates and generates electricity mm -hmm. because essentially you can't, you can not necessarily, I don't know, like, you know, you can't, you can store sunlight energy in your body only for a few minutes, right? That it actually absorbs your body or goes in, right? You know, that's how you get sun sunburn, but necessarily like you can't use that energy to redirect it because it goes away after a while. And so that's what, it, solar energy does is that it stores it but i think the one of the issues like we had mentioned before is that you know this is not available everywhere and like the fact that the demand for solar energy has increased and the cost is decreasing is is a good news but there's still obviously a lot of efforts to um expand solar energy in a lot of places mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's that's another conversation as well. It's like it's just not available everywhere, right? Like, you know, I, I guess can you can you talk a little bit about that? Like, why isn't it available everywhere? Why 
well, like, will some communities be excluded from that? Is that because of, uh, I guess, the environment in which they find themselves in? Or is that because of, uh, I guess, uh, 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 I, I guess, um, some type of oppressive force? Like, why isn't, why can't that be available? Yeah, I think it's because of the fact that it costs. It, but I think the fact that, it, I, from what I remember, even friends building their own solar panels or ordering, is that it's expensive mm. to build it, right? It's not expensive mm. to afford it, like the energy itself. It's expensive to build it mm. because it requires a lot of work. But I think too is the fact that there's a lot of policies. I don't really know too much into it. Like I'm not expert in solar energy, but from what I remember talking to uh, one of the founders for this solar tech startup known as Group Hug Solar, she had told me um, that there's a lot of like, um, issues that governments are not willing right now to work with it or slash um, there's like license issues insurance uh, issues and so there's a lot of like stakeholders within solar energy and so it's a very not streamlined process so I think when we talk about a uh, larger picture of building it for communities or um, cities and stuff that there's a lot of issues on there that needs a lot of design process and stuff but when it comes to like individual homes it's more likely obviously to be easier because it's just your own home you know it's not like you have to ask the city to build it because it's your home it's your property but necessarily for cities and stuff it there's a lot behind really know about and so i think that's why um also like location of solar panels like you they're necessarily like in new york like where do you put solar panels you can put them on the walls i think right, or right. on the sides or on the roofs but necessarily i think that's the issue for a lot of people is like the land or the lack of the lack of available land in areas you know mm -hmm. it's like where yeah exactly like where do you, mm -hmm. where do you put them um yeah that's interesting i mean i i know I know in some communities, and this this is a, a little side thing. In some communities, I'm, I know that um, you know you can't legally collect rainwater, mm -hmm. right? Am yeah. I, am I, and that's that's a whole thing in itself because you know you would imagine. I mean, water is a natural resource, rainwater especially. Um, but that, like, I don't like that. That I remember I read about that. Like, just the fact that you literally can't collect your own water, and I mean, you know that is is just one of the things that just shows you how fucked our situation is right where it's like this is something that should belong to everybody yet there's you can get into serious trouble doing something like that exactly you know? yeah i know and that's the thing that obviously um people talk about like there's these issues of laws and stuff and so that's why a lot of climate justice lawyers or climate lawyers right now are looking into those sectors because there's not much research done or slash work that has been done in that area mm -hmm. there's not a lot of protections um so can you talk a little bit about fire ecology yeah i think so fire ecology from what i've understood you know uh, learning about it in college is that it looks into sustainable management practices that necessarily assist in the environment for environments that are prone to wildfires and so all environments naturally are prone to wildfires right the thing is that now in society mm -hmm. with the change of temperatures the disruption of um colonization within those environments is hugely shifts to the landscape of environments and so what that means is that they're high vulnerable for fires and so now what's happening is that because there's less predators, there's disruption of ecological food pyramids within known species, it creates a disruption where mm -hmm. the amount of regeneration for trees or um, animals to come back is less likely every time. And so when you have less, less of certain key species in those environments, more invasive species come. And so that alters the environment. And then necessarily fire ecology looks into like creating the sustainable practices where you're able to determine the, the health system of the ecosystem by producing managed fires that is usually done in like, I think like a vertical, it's like a square format from what I remember in college. And so um, obviously, you know, this necessarily won't 
protect the future of the environment, but it's a great solution because the fact that it's able to be managed. But unfortunately, like there's more research that needs to be done with this because indigenous, I think, cultures uh, were able to do sustainable fire management practices in certain ways. And so now what we're seeing is that these landscapes are heavily altered that no one necessarily knows how to really save it. And so I think also to another thing important is that when obviously those emissions release, it comes from the soil. It's not necessarily the tree that's emitting carbon, it's the soil. And so that's why obviously people huh. then understand how much emissions are released from wildfires. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I, can you talk a, a little bit about Sierra trauma. Yeah, I, I really love these terms. They're usually coined by Glenn Albert. He's like a sustainability professor. Um, he recently wrote like a book okay. about earth emotions. And so he kind of proposes all these different types of um, terms. And so basically, I think Tierra trauma is basically that, you know, he's been able to attach a word to a certain feeling. So I think that like tear trauma looks into like that sudden experience or like that pain you experience uh, when there's a traumatic environmental change to your landscape. And when I mean traumatic environmental change, it can literally be like natural disasters, like land destruction or forest fires, like tornadoes, um, oil spills that are done from corporations. Like you realistically, physically see it in that moment. And so a lot of these communities who obviously experience Tierra trauma um, are usually rural farmers or those in you know other countries where they're frontline communities to the climate crisis. And so um, there's so much lack of information or lack of research for mental health and climate change that obviously no one necessarily knows the right words to put it in. And so you're expected when you experience Tierra trauma to just kind of like digested in a way but also move forward and so there's not necessarily you know you cannot necessarily describe that feeling of like you know losing your own land or seeing your own home being burned down by the climate crisis and you're just left with nothing you know Mm -hmm. i mean it's 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 that feeling of losing control right like i I remember Sandy. I was there for Sandy. I've been to Puerto Rico recently. I mean, I, yeah, I saw what happened there. Uh, like I said, in, in Los Angeles, I was witness to, to the fires. I have friends who have lost homes and stuff. And they're, you know, it's terrifying. It's not only terrifying, but like there's also something to be said about the effects of your life years mm-hmm. after, right? Like I've, if you go down to the Jersey Shore, there are still buildings collapse right there's there's still destruction and you know it just it's just like a reminder that you don't like we we are losing control faster and faster right this is happening more and more and uh, you know there isn't really a conversation about yeah. that right like if you go to puerto rico it's still um, like it's it's still destroyed yeah. right uh i i have i have many many friends from there and there are highways without working electricity and there's no, you know, the, the, um, the traffic signs just don't work, right? Like they, like for years, and this has been a thing for years and that's another conversation to have is just like, hey, listen, for one, there wasn't, there hasn't been any uh, investment from America, from the American government who, who, who was obligated to, to, to fund and, and attempt to fix these issues on that island but you know there's again not really a conversation about the mental health um and the mental health issues caused and continuously caused by by uh these natural disasters exactly yeah no it's i really love the terms that he he's created and so i think to necessarily like not to say like you need a word to describe your feelings because feelings are also valid but it does when you when you right, look right. when you look at the word and you read it, it like it gets to you. It gives you it brings you some sort of emotion that you're just like, wow, I just never knew. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, I mean, I mean, I, I don't. Would you, would we consider, I guess, the effects of COVID kind of a Tierra trauma? Um. Yeah, I mean, necessarily it has created environmental change in a certain sense. And so I think it can be argued that that feeling of change in your own environment um, 
you know, through a virus maybe too, it's altered the way that you see your community, right? In your own land, your own, your own, your own where you grew up in. And so I think a lot of us obviously have that weird, not weird, but like complex relationship now with how we see environment, how we see people in place, because you can no longer mm-hmm. kind of act the same without thinking about having a mask on or like making sure you have hand sanitizer on or not wanting to see mm-hmm. people anymore because people may be associated with the virus and you're just not wanting to engage anymore. Right, right. I mean, I don't know if you know too much about this, but what do you think is, is the impact of COVID on, on the environment? I think from an environmental standpoint, I think that, you know, on the environment itself, like it's not that it's heavily changed it, but the fact that, you know, right now in this era where we're winning our presidency, like he's creating a lot of rollbacks that continue for environmental degradation. So I think for environments within like ecosystems, like they're still being like, honestly, monetized and being privatized. But I think through our own environments like urban cityscapes like it's it's altered in a sense like natural environments for urban environments Mm. okay uh can you talk uh, yeah i guess can you talk about plastic free july which i already know i failed i'm pretty sure most of listeners listeners have failed at this but can you talk about this a little bit uh, so I can mark it down on my calendar for next year. Yeah. I don't know. It seems like- no, yeah, definitely. Yeah, no. The Plastic Free July essentially is like the month where it's like an annual monthly challenge, kind of like, you know, meatless Mondays, you know, it's kind of like things like that. And so um, Plastic Free July is like the month where individuals commit to reducing their own plastic, whether it be through a day, week, or month. And so it's obviously run through July. And so it encourages individual behavior changes because, you know, from to create change, it starts from the individual, right? And so I think then, like, it kind of educates the consumer, the person wanting to reduce their waste of the impact of how much waste is generated. And so I think for mm-hmm. me, you know, obviously I, I always tell people too, I still use plastic. And so, you know, I wear plastic every night. Like I wear retainers every night and that's something that I can't like discard, you know, I reuse it, but you know, unfortunately, right. like I have to live that way because braces. And so, um, obviously with plastic free July, it's a great initiative for those getting into plastic free lifestyles. But I also think that it should be expanded more upon it so built upon more than just you know reducing waste it's more about reducing waste and acknowledging the fact that the plastic crisis is contributing to environmental racism mm. i guess we could do like two more uh i guess talk a little bit about nanoplastics yeah so there's so there's two different types of like not plastics, but there's different types of plastics, of course, but microplastics obviously are, I think, I forgot how much less than centimeters, but they're obviously like what you would say, like, you know, those skincare products that used to have microbeads in them. So those microplastics were obviously not compostable. Um, There was no management whatsoever on them. And so they created huge environmental degradation in the seas because when you clean your face, where do those beads go to, to the sewers? And obviously there's no waste management practices actually to capture those beads. And so they end up in the oceans, they end up in the food systems within their own fish species. Like if people eat the food in the oceans, like what are they eating plastic? And so Uh uh, microplastics obviously created such a huge issue. And the thing is that with nanoplastics is that you need to think of scientific equipment to actually theoretically look at them. And so Nanoplastics are obviously within the land, the oceans now, and our waterway systems, and even our own bloodline streams now, is that it's being found that, mm-hmm. that we conge- we digest a lot of nanoplastics that we may not have known of. And that's because of the lack of treatment practices that have been available. And so um, with nanoplastics, obviously that creates a huge issue because you know it's they're so small to be seen, but they create so much damage in long-term health that we necessarily don't know what the long-term, you know, um, damages plastics in our own blood systems. You know, we, we really don't know what yeah. that's going to do in the long yeah. term. I mean, do you think the invention of plastic is like the worst thing to happen to our environment? Like ever? <laughs> um, I feel like 
Yes, it's one of them, but you know, plastics were created back in the 1950s or 60s, I think. 1940s or 50s. And so, you know, it's not like it's, they're not that new, you know? Fossil fuels are older, but, you know, necessarily like we've created this system or corporations created this system to create this product in order to reduce costs on making glass or things that were actually recyclable that now that's so cheap because of fossil fuels and the plastics work together is that the fact that there was no like i guess like collaboration or you would say like the person created plastics i don't think they necessarily understood the long-term environmental impact on this you know i think that's what <laughs> wasn't really discussed and i think i remember hearing this organization do amazing talk talking about the fact that had there been collaboration with social scientists environmental scientists and all these other scientists or educators and stuff maybe it could have been prevented or designed in a way that it wouldn't be exploited that way it was and unfortunately Mm -hmm. now it's like exploded even more and it's going to be even growing more in concern yeah i mean i mean it's crazy i mean i i'm looking around my apartment now i'm just like looking at everything that is plastic and it's it's so much i mean from my tv to, to the laptop i'm using right now uh the 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 bottle i'm drinking out of like it's it's it is our lives now right and you know we like it just seems like there's really no way of getting rid of it like it's just so much ingrained in our existence that and, and like it's cheap it's cheap to make uh it's easy to transport it's it's it 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 is on one end a great uh um a great invention but yeah i mean it it is so exploited these days it is so it's everywhere i mean there's there's a plastic island in the ocean Mm -hmm. right like and and it does it like it you know how how long does it take to to completely decompose isn't it like millions of years thousands yeah it's yeah it's so yeah yeah it's 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 like the 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 the, uh it's the great the water bottle i'm drinking out of will live significantly longer than i will right and look exactly the same uh it's it's yeah it's it's so fucked um and i i guess the last thing i kind of want you to talk about is uh tierra side yeah i think tierra side is different from ecocide right i think ecocide people have heard of it it's like the destruction of um ecosystems right and so that's like collectively agreed that right. it has it's happening it's, it's happening but I think Glenn Albrecht, who also I talked about Tierra Chama, he takes it up another level where Tierra side is like the moment in Earth or life where Earth can no longer support life and both animal mm-hmm. and human species. And so a, a great example of this, actually, I did, I did more extensive research to actually look if there's actually an ecosystem like that. And there's actually an ecosystem right now that does not support um, any life whatsoever. But that's not because of like... Um, destruction of the environment it's actually like uh it's i think somewhere in, in i forgot the place i believe in delhi um india um not delhi india it's somewhere in india i think and it was created through a volcanic structures of course and so there's no life there whatsoever and i think that picture when i saw it, it actually looks like mars low-key and so it kind of gives you an example oh. not example but what you could maybe imagine what life would look like where it can no longer support anyone and so in that environment it's like there's a lot of sulfuric acids and like um dust storms and just like there's no life or organism there living there like there's nothing it can support there and so i think even in the winter like the highest it goes is like 160 degrees and the lowest it goes is like 120 degrees or something like that and so um it's a bit like intense there but i think that's like um, TRSI kind of gives you that concept or that brief overview of like what would come if life can no longer support us. Mm-hmm. And is that something that I guess if we don't change, is that something that humans will cause? I think I think so. That necessarily like not necessarily. I think yes, humans, but in a sense, but like these, like you know, if we continue the same path of corporate, we allow corporations to continue doing this. Um, it may be mm-hmm. may it may not look exactly like that of course because that's a natural built ecosystem that was designed that way through earth but it can be used as reference of like what could come if like that if we had to think of a place where 
Earth can no longer support anything. Maybe it can look that way. Hmm. Okay. So, is there still hope? <laughs> yes, I, I argue in the sense that yes, I do. I do think that there is hope. I do think that at the end of the day, where there's there's evil, there's good, right? And unfortunately, yeah. you know, we've lived in a, an era where evil has, you know, in a sense, silenced, murdered, and, um, you know, tried to misconstrue public safety and public communities. But I think with goodness that's been there and that people have been fighting for, it will never, it will never die. Like essentially, like maybe the person themselves will no longer be in this earth or no longer be in this world physically. But I think that their work or their values or their hope is also um, cultivated and planted in other people's journeys. And so I think, you know, the last statement I tell people is that wherever you are in this movement, wherever you are doing environmental work or whether you, what you want to do in life, just know that there are also people fighting with you and you're not alone in this movement because it's a movement. Not a, it's not an I move, it's a we movement. So I think understanding that you have to carry yourself with that because think about the younger generations that are to come or younger generations right now like they need leaders they need people to look up to they are they are the ones who also be future but ourselves too you know so understanding that impact is very powerful in my opinion amazing and is there anywhere people can look to learn more about this i mean obviously your instagram page again which i'll, I'll link in the uh, description below but is there anywhere people can learn more about this is there any way people can uh further become an advocate for these issues places to donate organizations yeah definitely i think there's a really great organization known as at the Intersectional Environmentalist that was created by Leah, Green Girl Leah, or Leah, sorry. And so she is an amazing person that is an amazing team and Intersectional Environmentalist looks into how topics are intersected. Um, an amazing nonprofit, open educational, sustainable literacy uh, organization known as The Slow Factory um, is also looking how um, it looks more into like sustainable systems and circular systems through circularity framework. And so, um, really great page. There's also the Future Earth that was, I think, created by uh, two amazing uh, environmentalists. Um, and so, uh, Steph and Max, I believe. And so, um, definitely check them out as they post more about environmental education and stuff like that. So, and a huge slash shout out for my best friend, Christy, known as Brown Girl underscore Green. She's a great um, in, uh, environmental environmentalist doing dope work. Do you have any, I guess, last words for the people, for the audience, for the world? Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think my last few words is that necessarily don't always find your information from educational institutions. Go out there, find out your own education, look into your own family members, look into your history, your culture. Like that's all environmental education at the end of the day. You just necessarily don't realize it because it's not talked about a lot. And uh, do you have any projects to plug? Any, any? Uh... Yeah, yeah. I'll be right now. I'm right now writing a climate illustrator picture book, and so I have already designed a lot of the graphics with my designer, and we're hoping to get that release in the late or mid fall, actually. So be on the lookout for that picture book. It'll be on my store website, and so we're hoping to. Um, further kind of encourage these, sim uh, these terms and giving them or donating them so we're selling them to um, people or also working with teachers to incorporate it in their own classrooms. Word, word. And uh, I guess I guess we want to shout out to your social media and your website and your yeah, all that. Yeah, definitely. Stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm so for anyone ever wanting to work with me, I'm very accessible. Email at careerboundvegan at gmail.com or checking out my website at careerboundvegan.com. Um, all my Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook handles are all under that same handle name. And so always hoping to collaborate and work with amazing folks like yourself, Evan. So uh, make sure to obviously um, support him out and also um, support my work if you want. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, thank you again for being on this this episode. Uh, like I said, like this isn't really a conversation that I feel a lot of people are having right now, at least, at least in my perspective. Uh, yet it, I think it is one of the biggest issues mm -hmm. facing us right now. Um, it, it is the, the overall issue. Without the earth, 
they wouldn't be any other movements. So uh, definitely, yeah. Thank you, thank you, man. Oh yeah, that's that's really what I have to say. I, I learned a lot. I there's a lot of things that you talked about that I never really even yeah. comprehended, <laughs> and it just took for somebody to say, hey, wait, wait a second, this is connected to this. It it matters. Um, so again, thank you. Uh, I'm, uh, this has been an amazing episode. Uh, but yeah, I think that's another another episode of the Black Hole Podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. So yeah, no, that was super dope. That was super dope. I feel like this is a conversation that just needed to be had. You know, I feel like a lot of us want to save the environment and help the environment, but we just don't know where to begin or, or, or where, to, where to start, really. You know, where to start with the conversating. But with that being said, I will be linking Isaiah's social media in the description below if you want to know uh, a little more about this topic. Um, and if you like this episode, please give us a like. Please give us a subscribe. If you didn't like this episode, uh, hit me up on social media. I'll be linking that in the description below as well. Uh, I want to improve for you guys. If you did like us, hit me up too. I like having conversations. I like talking to y'all. So that's been another episode of the Black Hole Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Malik McDonald, and I will be seeing you guys on the next episode. Peace.